attention now to Nehemiah chapter 6. I just want to set the scene a little bit. The last few weeks we've seen the ups, the downs, the highs, and the lows. God has been on the move. He's been doing some incredible things. But every time God moves, it seems like some sort of opposition or obstacle rises up. And from one mountain to the valley, it seems like the obstacles get bigger. The burdens get a little bit greater. And the challenges that Nehemiah and the community are facing seem to get even hairier. And so this morning, we're going to look at Nehemiah 6, 1 through 14, and hear the obstacles reach a new level that they've not been at before. And we're going to see how Nehemiah and the community keep the faith as they continue to trust in God, as they continue to invest in that mission and that work that God has for them. So if you want to follow along this morning, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, you can follow along on the screen above me. If you brought your Bible, I encourage you to open there, or if you have an app that you want to utilize. But Nehemiah 6, 1 through 14, hear now the word of the Lord. Now, when it was reported to Sanballat and Tobiah and to Geshem, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had built the wall and that there was no gap left in it, though up to that time I had not yet set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem said to me, came to me saying, come and let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So I sent to them and saying, "I uh, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? They sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand, and it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that's why you're building this wall. And according to the report, you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you, there is a king in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king according to these words. So come, therefore, and let us confer together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such thing as you, have been, as you say have been done. You are inventing them out of your own mind, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. One day, when I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Delilah, son of Mechtabel, who was confined to his house, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, tonight they are coming to kill you. But I said, Should a man like me run away? Would a man like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived and saw that God had not sent him at all, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this purpose, to intimidate me and make me sin by acting in this way, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O God, according to these things that they did to me, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who, want, who wanted to make me afraid. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we thank you that we can come into this place, that we can worship your name, that we can sing your praises, that we can cry out to you in times of goodness and just celebrate who you are. But Lord, we also thank you that in those times of difficulty and challenge, we can come before you and pour our hearts out to you knowing that you care for us. So Lord, Whatever we're experiencing today, whether it's those times of goodness 
or whether it's times of challenge and obstacle. We come before you and we enter into this place saying, Lord, we need you. Oh, Lord, we need you. And Lord, I pray that indeed you would hear the cries of our hearts today, that you would open our eyes, that we might see your truth more clearly, that you would unclog our ears, that we might hear your voice speak more plainly. And Lord, indeed, that you would soften our hearts in such a way that we would go forth and be not only hearers of your word, but we would go and live it out to the honor and glory of your name. And so now, Lord, I ask over these next few moments that you would either speak through me or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me. But I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and that we, your people, would be changed because of it. It's in Christ's name and to his honor and glory we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said, amen. Well, in the year 2016, there was a film released and it was entitled Hidden Figures. And Hidden Figures, this film chronicles the work, the challenges, the triumphs of three African-American women, Katherine Johnson, Mary Jackson, and Dorothy Vaughn. They were stationed together there at Langley Research Center in 1961, and these women had to overcome obstacle upon obstacle, challenge after challenge in work, in life, and just in their personal well-being. Catherine, for example, is one of the characters we're introduced to rather quickly, and she's been assigned to the Space, Force, or space Task Group. And given her analytic skills in geometry, she seems like the ideal fit. In fact, she becomes the first African-American woman to be a part of the team. Yet very quickly, she's dismissed. She's dismissed by her supervisor as not being capable or competent to do this work that she is so gifted in. And the reasons for her dismissal were her race and her gender. And what's more, even though she proved herself time and again solving complex mathematical equations, even taking redacted documents and reconstructing formulas, she continued to be written off and discounted. She was told, in fact, to remove her name from the reports as a quote-unquote computer was not able to author such a report. You see, she was just a cog in a wheel. Someone who was moving things forward, but really she was treated as less than a person. In fact, a little bit later on, we see that not only is she discounted, not only do people write her off because of her gender and her race, but her group leader begins to accuse her. He begins to accuse her of taking rather long breaks to go to the restroom. What he didn't understand and what he didn't realize was that she was walking almost a half a mile in order to get to the nearest restroom that she could use. Mary, one of the other characters, is assigned to the space capsule shield team. And she immediately from the get-go identifies a design flaw. And so encouraged by her team leader, she applies to be an engineer at NASA. But she's told that even though she has the mathematic, mathematic ability and despite the fact that she has a physical science degree, her position will require additional courses in order for her to have that position. In other words, there's no way she's ever going to get it. But Mary doesn't flinch. Despite the obstacles in her way, she files a petition with the local courts asking for permission to go to the local high school and take night classes in order to fulfill the course requirements. And the local judge is compelled by her argument, and he gives her that permission despite the fact that her husband didn't want her to do it either. And so she attends night classes. 
And in the meantime, we're introduced to another woman by the name of Dorothy, and she learns that NASA has plans to install something new, a computer room, a room filled with a computer that will replace all these human computers, quote-unquote. So she takes it upon herself, realizing that she might be phased out to learn about this new computer system. So she goes to the local library, but the books she needs are in the white-only section. And so she ends up being scolded for being in that section. Yet on the way out, she takes a book on Fortran and teaches herself that computer programming language as well as the others in her work group. And so one day she visits the computer room this room with this massive computer that no one knew how to operate. And she successfully starts the machine and gets it running. And she ends up being promoted by her supervisor because of it. But she only agrees to take the promotion if she can take 30 others from her department with her. It then becomes time in the film for the final arrangements to be made for John Glenn's launch. And given this new computer room, given this incredible new technology that was at their disposal, priding themselves in their advancements, the department now believes that it no longer needs these human computers whatsoever. They don't need them to do the computations. And so they set about proceeding without these human beings being involved. But on the day of the launch, a problem is discovered. The computer calculations seem to be off. And so Catherine is called in. She's called in to utilize that analytic geometry that others used to dismiss her for and discount her because of it. And she's brought in and she's asked to calculate from her mind the trajectory of that capsule. The launch coordinates, the landing coordinates, and they find out that her calculations are accurate and the others were not. So she's allowed to deliver the results the control room, and for the very first time, she's been admitted in, even though she's one of the most gifted people who could be in that room. And after the successful launch of that capsule, there's a warning that comes that the capsule's heat shield may be failing. So Mission Control decides that they need to bring John Glenn down sooner after three rotations instead of seven. And it's then that this supervisor who had dismissed Catherine and discounted her for so long then turns to her to ask whether, in fact, it can be done. And she says, you need to leave on the heat shield. And then Friendship 7 successfully lands. The work of these hidden figures, the work of these hidden figures ultimately saves lives. It paves the way for new avenues of exploration, for things to move forward with new opportunities in incredible ways. Yet these three women faced a lot. Katherine Johnson, Mary Jackson, Dorothy Vaughn, they faced a lot from coworkers who wanted to discount them because of their race and gender. Bathrooms that were half a mile away. Not being permitted to see the files in their entirety, only given redacted versions of the documents. They had numerous challenges and obstacles that stood in their way. Yet they remained focused. They knew why they were there. They knew what they were capable of, and they continued to push forward. In today's scripture, Nehemiah has been in Jerusalem for a while now. He's been there for a few months. And he came to Jerusalem after hearing from his brother about the rubble and ruin that the city had become. Walls destroyed, gates burned down to the ground. 
There was no safety. There was no security for God's people. All that they could see was the waste, the rubble, and the ruin. And because of that, hope had faded. All seemed lost. God's people were the laughing stock amongst the nations. But then Nehemiah arrives on the scene, and all of that begins to change because he surveys the damage. He makes a list of all the work that needs to be done. He takes note of all the resources that are going to be needed to complete this task. And then he tells the community of why he's there, of this mission that God has given him to rebuild the walls and reconstruct the gates. And as he shares that God-given mission, they catch a glimpse of a new day, a new future that could be before them. And compelled by that vision, they move forward. They excitedly embrace what God is doing in their midst, and they all began to partner together in this work of reconstruction. One section of the wall rebuilt, followed by another section, followed by another section, and then they began to re reconnect those sections together to form a complete wall. It's incredible. And we read at one point that the wall was reconstructed to half its height. Yes, there have been challenges along the way. Opposition has resurfaced at many times as Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and those who followed them would mock and jeer and poke fun at God's people. There was even exploitation as famine came to the land. But all of these challenges, all this opposition had been overcome. The work had proceeded to move forward. God's people continued to band together. And then we arrive at chapter 6. As we said, the wall has been rebuilt. The numerous sections have been joined together. The community has partnered together in this work. Families and goldsmiths and priests and perfumers, they've all come together in such a way that there are no longer gaps in this wall. All we can say is truly good work has been done. Hope has been rekindled. God's people are glimpsing that new day that is just around the corner. They can see that God is doing a new thing. But then enter Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And for those who have been following along over these weeks, yes, that's right. It's those same three and those who followed them. This isn't the first time we've heard of them. It's not going to be the last, unfortunately, for Nehemiah. But what Scripture says is these three guys have caught wind of all that has been taking place, all that God has been doing. They've received reports that the walls have been reconstructed. And rather than rejoicing, they become furious. I don't mean just a little bit angry over what's taken place. They become furious. Incensed to the point or to the degree that they send a message to Nehemiah asking him, Nehemiah, come and meet with us. Now at first we could look at that and say, oh, that's nice. They're going to take him to lunch. They're going to go out to, to, to Chili's and they're, they're going to celebrate all that's going on. And it's easy to think that. But then we read a little bit further and they're not going out to lunch to celebrate. There's not going to be any molten cake. No, they don't want to thank Nehemiah for a job well done. They don't want to celebrate this new thing that God's doing. No, they want to meet together with Nehemiah for very nefarious reasons. They have ill content in their hearts towards him. They want to harm him. 
If there's going to be cake, they're going to poison it. And so Nehemiah sends a response, discerning what's going on, realizing what and why they want to meet. He sends a response and says, no, I'm not able to meet. This is not going to happen. I'm on the wall. Work is being done. This mission and ministry that God has given me is moving forward, and I need to finish it. I need to continue this work. And so he remains faithful. He sends the response. He continues the work. He continues to fulfill this mission of rebuilding the wall and reconstructing the gates. But they're persistent. They're persistent. They, they aren't going to take no as an answer. So they send, they send messages requesting meetings on four different occasions. Four times, Sanballat and Geshem send a request saying, please come and meet with us. And each time, Nehemiah says, no, 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 and no. And so unsuccessful in these attempts, unsuccessful in getting Nehemiah to meet with them, Sanballat then goes a measure further. And he sends an open letter this time. He reaches out once again to Nehemiah, and he says, Nehemiah, I have heard about a conspiracy a conspiracy that you are at the heart of, a conspiracy that you are leading here in Judah. It's a plan to revolt. You're rebuilding these walls. You're reconstructing the gates because you want to set yourself up as king here. In fact, I've heard that you've set off prophets who are going to fulfill that very role, proclaiming you to be the king. Nehemiah, we all know that you are at the heart of a scheme to revolt against the present rule. Now, of course, none of it was true, and Nehemiah recognizes it for what it was. It was a ploy, it was a ploy to discount him. It was, it was intended to scare him off. It was, it was intended to get him to back down from this work that he was doing. They wanted to get him so involved in, in defending himself against these accusations that he couldn't do the work that he had been sent there to do. Again, Nehemiah wouldn't be moved. He wouldn't give in. In fact, Scripture says at that time he prayed to God and he asked God to strengthen the work of his hands, to strengthen his resolve in completing this task that the Lord his God had given him. But you know what? The attacks kept coming. The attacks kept coming, and they continued to get worse. In fact, Shemaiah is brought in, and Nehemiah comes, and he goes to visit Shemaiah with this compassion in his heart because things are tough for this guy. But Shemaiah tries to trick him. Shemaiah had been hired by Sanballat and by Geshem to, to get Nehemiah involved in a situation where he could commit sin, where he would be discredited amongst the people. Nehemiah, come, come, let's, you, you, there's threats against your life. Let's go into the, to the temple and, and seek sanctuary. Let's go lock the doors behind us. But Nehemiah wouldn't budge. He wouldn't give in. And again, even though they did everything they could to intimidate him, although Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem did everything they could think of up to this point to intimidate him and distract him, Nehemiah did the opposite. He rolled his sleeves up just a little bit more and he continued to work and to labor at this project that the Lord had given him. And I love what Scripture says. And after 52 days, 
the wall was completed. I don't know if you caught that detail, but if you saw the picture that I posted to Facebook of the wall surrounding Jerusalem, we're not talking like a little six foot by six foot wall. This is a big wall. And there's a lot of people involved in this work. 52 days. After 52 days, the wall was completed. Amen? As we live our lives, friends, there are going to be challenges. There are going to be obstacles. There are those who are going to bring frustrations and difficulty our way. We will experience pain. Scripture is honest about all these things. Life for us as human beings isn't always easy. It's not all gumdrops, rainbows, and unicorns. Tough stuff will come our way. But when those things come our way, we can either fold under the pressure, and we can give up, we can give in, we can back down, we can throw in the towel, we can stay in bed and pull up the covers, or we can persevere. Like Nehemiah and like those hidden figures, when those obstacles come our way, we can continue to push forward. We can move forward with confidence. We can continue to keep the faith, trusting that God has put us here in this place for such a time as this. But how do we do that? How do we keep the faith, especially when, when the heat keeps getting turned up? And I mean, let's face it, for Nehemiah, the heat has gone from mocks and jeers to, and people trying to miscredit him and people saying, Nehemiah, why are you here? You're only a cupbearer. It's gone from that to now they're conspiring to try and get him executed by the king. The heat's been turned up, but he doesn't back down. He, he keeps the faith. He stays the course. How can we do that? when the heat gets turned up in our lives. I think today's scriptures, both from Romans chapter 5 and Nehemiah chapter 6, provide some rather important insights in those regards. And so this morning, I just want to share with you maybe a few things to chew on or think about. I think the first thing that we need to keep in mind when the, the heat's turned up and those obstacles come our way is this, we need to remain focused on God. Now, I know I'm probably starting to sound like a broken record at this point because every time we've talked about obstacles and challenges and frustrations, this is always a point. Stay focused upon God. But note that for both Nehemiah and for Paul, that was crucial to them continuing to persevere and move forward with confidence and faith, trusting in God. I mean, think about it. Nehemiah has been on these ups and downs, and really the, the valleys have got more pronounced as the book has gone along. But almost every time, in fact, every time something comes his way, the very first thing he does is pray. He turns to God in prayer. He remains focused on God. And even when the people begin to, to get turned aside because of things that are going on in their lives, he continues to point them back to God and this mission that God has given them. And so he lives, he builds, and he does all that he does with that focus. A focus clearly on God and the mission that has been given him. And for that reason, he won't be moved, he won't stop, he won't come off that wall. In fact, he wasn't the only one, was he? 
Now, the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans chapter 5, was someone who had been shipwrecked multiple times. He endured incredible beatings. He spent significant time in prison. He had a thorn in his side that was perennially there. He had every reason to give up. Yet in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, knowing what was ahead, knowing that there were hardships and trials and difficulties and prison ahead for him, even when the Ephesian Christians come to him and say, Paul, a good work is being done in this place. Stay here. Remain here in the safety and security. Paul says this in Acts 20, 24, but I do not count my life of any value to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Testify to the good news of God's grace. Again, this is a guy who had been shipwrecked multiple times, endured incredible beatings. He had a hard life and ministry to this point. And he knew that prison awaited him if he continued on. And possibly even death. But when the Ephesian elders beg with him to stay where things are safe, comfortable, and going well, he says this, I do not consider my life of any value to myself if only I may finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. That's someone who's focused on God. That's someone who's focused on the ministry that God has given them. That is crystalline focus in terms of mission. And then he'll go on to say in Romans 5, he speaks of the boasting and the glory of God rather than in our present sufferings. Yeah, not an easy thing when you're dealing with shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonment and the possibility of death. But he said, let us boast in the glory of God rather than in our present sufferings. And then he'll go on to write how as those obstacles surface, we have that opportunity to remain on God. We have that opportunity to trust in him. And when that happens, that leads to the second thing this morning. We can begin to understand that the challenges, the difficulties, and struggles that we experience in life are purposeful. In Romans chapter 5, the apostle Paul says, you know what, suffering is going to happen. There are going to be challenges. Obstacles are going to come your way. But then he goes on to talk about how those things produce perseverance and how perseverance produces character in us. And then how character ends up producing hope. Or to say it another way, when obstacles come our way, when we face difficulties, when challenges are thrust upon us, we can learn a lot. And I know that's sometimes hard to hear and it's a perspective that's sometimes very hard to keep in the moment. But through those things, we can learn a lot about ourselves. And I think Nehemiah has learned a lot about himself over these last six chapters. But we can also learn a great deal about our relationship with God. I mean, very early on, if you think about it, Nehemiah trusted in God. He trusted in God to allow him to go to Jerusalem. He trusted in God for the provisions to rebuild the wall. But now when the heat's getting turned up, those lessons that he learned early on are now fueling his continued faith and trust in God. It allows him to keep the faith and remain strong and hopeful even in turbulent times. His metal was tested, yet he continued to persevere. 
And what I love is that the lessons that he is even learning now in chapter 6 are going to set him up in such a way that he's able to continue to serve as governor, as leader, as the point person in charge of this region for the next 12 years. What happened before prepared him for where he is now, and what is happening now is going to prepare him for what he needs for the next 12 years. We need to understand that the challenges, difficulties, and obstacles, they're purposeful. God can use them in ways that we may not even be able to see in that moment. And third, we need to be on on the lookout for those teachable moments. And again, this is a hard one. There are times in life where we feel like we're in control, where we feel like we have everything figured out. Seasons that just seem to go smooth. But then challenges come, obstacles surface, frustrations arise, and we're reminded that we're not actually in control, that we're often out of our depth, that we have things to learn, just as we said. Nehemiah, it seems, had that natural ability to lead. But what I love about Nehemiah is throughout it all, he remained teachable. He, opened, he, he remained open to new lessons that God wanted to teach him. He continued to allow God to refine his abilities through these times, both the good and the bad. He, he grew from the good experiences, but also from the painful ones. And the Apostle Paul, again, speaks of that same growth. The ways that God can take the pain, the obstacles, the frustrations, the suffering, and use them to produce perseverance and character and hope in us. So friends, my prayer is this. My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, my prayer for us as God's people. When obstacles come, when challenges arise, when difficulties enter into our lives, and they will, I pray that we can encounter those times with humility, that we can understand that they can be used by God in ways that we may not be able to see or understand even in those moments, but that God can use these things to produce in us perseverance. That God can use these things to produce character in us. And that ultimately God can even use these things to bring about hope as we trust in him. Amen and amen.